Hi, I'm Kat. And I'm Emma. If you love the Dead Prank podcast, you can help support its future using the ACAST supporter feature. Now, it's up to you how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So if you can and you want to, please do hit the link in the show description to support now. Thank you. Thank you. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, welcome to the Deprian Club podcast a community of like-minded young adults who are all grieving a similar loss. I'm Catherine Hooker and I speak with inspirational people from all over the world whose lives have been impacted from losing a parent at a young age. In this podcast, our guests will tell their own grief story, discussing how their losses have impacted their lives and the past they have found themselves on. We laugh, we cry, but together we've come to realise that we are far from alone in our own grief journeys. As you know, obviously there's a lot more sense of pity with cancer because obviously there's all you know like stand up to cancer and you see all the stories on tv from cancer research so people are more kind of attuned to it they know what it's like they know how devastating it is they know it's not through the choice of that person and then addiction there's obviously still even for me I feel like there's a bit of a taboo around it so even especially growing up and stuff it's got better now but if a celebrity died from like drug addiction or even alcoholism like all the comments on social media would just be like oh they're so selfish or oh it's their own fault or they didn't care about their family so you kind of I still feel a bit protective of that Hi everybody and welcome to this week's episode of the Dead Prankle podcast. Now before I jump in I just want to say a huge thank you to all of you that tune in and listen to the podcast every week. I am honestly just so honoured to be able to share these stories and I am so grateful to all of you. Now this week I'm sharing Natalie's story. While living with her dad's alcohol addiction and balancing life as a student, Natalie's mum was suddenly diagnosed with terminal cancer and given days to live. After her mum died, her dad's addiction took a turn for the worst and she expected every phone call she'd get to be telling her he had died or that he was in hospital. In this episode, we discuss how her grief feels different for both of her parents and how it felt like she'd been grieving her dad for years by the time that he died, whereas her mum's death came as a huge shock. Natalie also talks about how she noticed the difference in support to her dad's death compared to her mum's and how we've all still got so much to learn about addiction and the effect that it has on people's families. This is such an important podcast and Natalie does a fantastic job of highlighting how everyone's experience with death and grief can be so different, especially when it comes to addiction. First of all, Natalie, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm really looking forward to kind of, I don't know, I think we have got a lot to kind of unpack here. (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) which I think is good because you know you're kind of like a different people from different walks of life are going to be able to relate um so I think we'll obviously cover the loss of like both of your parents and how your grief journey has turned you into the person that you are today um 
But I do think it's really important as well that we discuss, you know, your dad's addiction and the taboo surrounding that and kind of the different types of yeah. loss and how they've happened and how you've reacted to both of them so differently because, you know, I think that's such an important mm-hmm. point. Um, but yeah, before I start rambling on too much, would you like to introduce yourself, so your name and where you're from, um, just so that they can get to know you a little bit? Yeah, so I'm Natalie. I'm now 28. Um, I live in, well, I'm from Portsmouth originally, but I live in London now. And I work for a TV company. Very nice. Thank you very much. Um, so I think to start with, it probably makes sense to talk about your mum. Would you mind telling that story to us? Yeah. So obviously my mum died first, but then my dad was kind of ill the whole time. So I was kind of dealing with Both. my mum's sudden illness in the middle of my dad's long-term addiction. Were your parents together, um, if you don't mind me asking? No, so they broke up when I was about 15, mm. so they were separated from them. Um, so it's kind of, I mean, they didn't really speak, they didn't really end on good terms, mainly because of my dad's addiction. Yeah. So they were kind of very separate. Um, but with my mum, so obviously like in the middle of dealing with, obviously I'll go into what happened with my dad, but in the middle of dealing with my dad, so kind of completely out the blue, we, my mum just suddenly became ill. Mm. Um, like she was never really never really had anything wrong before that she was always you know carrying on fit and healthy and then I kind of heard from my brother that she had been in hospital and my mum had to mention it to me so I was like oh well (laughs) what's going on here (laughs) um so I spoke to my mum and she was just like oh yeah no it's just the doctors have basically said it's just a bit of indigestion um Mm. so they uh, sent her away gave her some indigestion tablets but then obviously it carried on getting worse and worse and then eventually she got admitted to hospital because it got so bad. And that's when they found fluid on her lungs. Um, so then they were like, oh, it's probably pneumonia. Um, we'll just do a few more tests just to be sure. But we think it's pneumonia. Um, so during all this, I was still at uni. So this is in my final year. Which is stressful so enough was, as it is. <laughs> exactly. So I was doing like my last couple of assignments. And this was in March of 2015. Mm. And then, so from there, obviously from those tests, that's when they found she had a tumour on her kidney and they said that's cancerous and it had already spread to her liver and lungs. Gosh. And so obviously the the lung cancer where it spread to was what was causing the fluid. Mm. And then to be honest, like from there, it was just a massive whirlwind. Like everything just went downhill really quickly. Like even the nurses were saying we've never seen like a cancer spread this quick before across lungs. Um, yeah, so it was all kind of a bit like I don't really think she had time to process it. We didn't really yeah. have time to process it. Um, but it was very so much like fight or flight that whole time, wasn't it? Like you were just trying to just get yeah. by each day. Exactly. So it was all like I think none of us really realised like how serious it was until she had the biopsy and they basically said yep definitely stage four terminal we can't do anything to treat it we just have to make her comfortable gosh and that's when they said it's going to be days or weeks but it's definitely not going to be months oh it must have been so hard for you yeah I mean you do you do just kind of go into autopilot Mm. you kind of just say right okay this is happening we just have to do what we have to do like we just have to get through it um and then obviously all that happened sorry I was gonna say did you say that you had a sibling um yeah so I've got two brothers and I'm the youngest so same as me (laughs) oh 
<laughs> it's nice being the youngest. Mm-hmm. I feel like you get better treatment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but um, yeah, so both my brothers are older um, and they were both quite close to my mum as well. Mm-hmm. And so they were all around for all of this. So it's kind of good we had each other in that. It's like, I'd, like I can't imagine being an only child and having to deal with your parents yeah. going through yeah. that. Yeah, um, yeah. So from there, she was kind of in and out of hospital through those few weeks. Like she only really had a handful of days at home, and then eventually she went into hospital and she never came home again. So she basically they were just trying to control her pain. They wanted to keep her in, and they I can't remember what it's called. Is it like the screwdriver where they put or like the screw the, um, or something? syringe driver? Syringe driver. That's a screwdriver. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> um, so they put her on that. And then at that point, she decided that she wanted to go to the local hospice. Yeah. And then, so eventually we got her there and settled in. And then pretty quickly, I think, so it was the morning after she arrived, she basically became completely unconscious. Yeah. Like, you know, we kind of figured it out like a door accidentally slammed and she didn't even flinch. And then that's when you kind of realise, okay, she's not really, she doesn't really have any idea what's happening here. Yeah, like they're there, but they're not there anymore. Yeah. So she did kind of sometimes drowsily kind of open her eyes, but it was very, very brief and she just mm. went straight back. Um. So yeah, from there, it kind of all went downhill again. Even the nurses in the hospice were just, they'd come in the next morning and be like, we can't believe how quickly she's deteriorated overnight but no one thinking back like no one really said to us like this is towards the end like you should all kind of yeah like obviously they said yep she's you know towards like the final stages but no one said you need to prepare yourself Mm. yeah so like at this point so I was obviously back from uni so I I didn't have anywhere else to be and I wouldn't have wanted to be anywhere else (laughs) of course um, but my brothers were like carrying on with work and obviously my grandparents were trying to keep a bit of normality. Yeah. Um, and obviously like we'd never been through it before. We didn't know like that it was going to be imminent. Well, nothing can prepare you for that, can it? <laughs> exactly. You're kind of in a bit of denial mm. as well. A hundred percent. Yeah. Like it could still improve. She could still, you know, mm. have a bit of life in her yet. <laughs> um, but then obviously from there, so I was there pretty much the whole time and her partner at the time stayed with her overnight because I basically said I don't want her to be alone because I think I just kind of had a feeling. Yeah. So I was always worried that she'd be on her own when it happened. Um, And then, yeah, like I said, it was quite quick. And then literally the day after that, so I was there on my own and two of her friends had asked if they could come to visit. And obviously they hadn't really been able to speak to her because she was, you know, obviously focused on being in hospital. Yeah. <laughs> and we were all just kind of like in a bit of a whirlwind, didn't really have any contact with them. So I had said to them, okay, like, that's absolutely fine. Like, obviously you can come visit her and like say a few words to her if you really want to. Like, if, if, if it makes you feel better, that's absolutely fine with us. And then while I was there with her two friends, we were just talking, chatting in the room, and then it was again like really sudden and really quick my mum just she died and it was just but it was so quick and so peaceful like it's not how I imagined it to go 
Yeah, I think I think everybody's experience with like death from a terminal illness is probably quite different. I think um like I'm it's mm. it's so nice to hear that for you it wasn't yeah, you know, really long like it dragged out for a, like a long long time. <laughs> yeah. Like obviously I'm really glad I was there as well because yeah. I know that it was like that. Yeah. Cuz obviously you'd think of you think like the all the horror stories. Exactly. But then, even after it happened, like, obviously I was there with her, but I just couldn't cry. Mm -hmm. Like, (laughs) I just, because obviously you're in so much shock. I was like, I just, like, I want to cry. I feel like I need to cry, but I just can't. Like, they just won't come. And I only cried when, so obviously, because I was the only one there, I had to call a few people. So I had to call, um, so I was trying to get hold of my middle brother. So my oldest brother worked with my mom's partner who the hospice had called to tell him oh, what had happened okay. so I knew that that was covered but I had to call my other brother oh that must have been such um, a hard conversation yeah so I couldn't get hold of him <laughs> of course <laughs> he's terrible with his phone <laughs> like obviously no matter what of all the on, time <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so it was just I finally got hold of my sister-in-law and it only really hit me like when I said the words, like my mum has just died, oh. and that's when you're like, okay, this has actually happened, and that's when yeah. it becomes real. Yeah, I mean, so, that like that must have been so difficult when you were in like your last couple of months at uni. Like, how did you cope with that? Because yeah. you must have had some like final exams and stuff. Yeah, so I had a couple of exams coming up, and I was, I think, I had two assignments left to do. Um, and when she first got ill, I was like, no, I'm not going to ask for an extension. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm fine. I can do this. And then obviously, like, when she got really ill, I was like, okay, I'm going to need to defer this. Yeah, I definitely. But I remember doing my deferral application. I was just worried in my head. I was like, what if they don't think this is, like, a good enough reason to defer? <laughs> like, that, that, was, that, that was, like, my mindset. <laughs> so I just, I guess I was just kind of in denial that mm. it was such a big deal. Mm. You know, it's very strange time and even when I did do those assignments I didn't I mean I I didn't do very well in those last assignments even after deferring them but it all worked out fine (laughs) I mean that's definitely expected (laughs) yeah exactly but you know I still passed I still got my two one so god you that's amazing but yeah obviously that was much tougher with all of that going on at the same time how did you feel when you got your results because I remember like when I got my results for uni it's such like a happy like and like with graduating as well like those events that you mm. look forward to your whole like university life are suddenly tainted aren't they yeah I mean it is it's bittersweet I mean I even remember when I finished my final exam obviously the first thing you want to do is you want to call your mum and yeah. just be like, oh my God, I've finished. Yeah. But obviously you couldn't do that. So, yeah, like very bittersweet. But then obviously you have to appreciate, like, obviously I've still got other family and stuff, so you kind of have to look at it that way. Mm. That's how I kind of got through that. Yeah, I literally, I had like a whole tribe of family. <laughs> it's my graduation, like my aunties, my cousins, like my friends who graduated the year earlier because I like deferred my whole year. Um, they mm-hmm. came and like yeah you do just kind of have to like try and make it as good as you can for yourself don't you <laughs> exactly yeah it's hard though it's very hard mm. I suppose 
obviously as well you didn't have the support of your dad during that time either as much as yeah obviously I don't know the extent but um like that must have been so difficult you did like you must have felt kind of really alone from that aspect you know from like not having that kind of parent so like do you mind kind of telling our listeners now about your dad and his addiction and how that's impacted your life yeah so that's I mean I'll try and keep it short obviously it was um most of my life (laughs) yeah (laughs) um so yeah it was pretty much most of my life and obviously even though my mum died first I think for me I kind of started grieving my dad even before that because of his addiction yeah so yeah like I said pretty much my whole life and it just kind of got progressively worse as I got older so I remember being like a like young teen and kind of figuring out what it was and that it was an addiction and that it wasn't normal but when my parents split up when I was 15 that's kind of when it kind of spiraled so I stayed at home with my dad because my mum didn't really have the means for us to go with her so I stayed at home with my dad so it was mainly like my brother was there but he was he's five years older Mm -hmm. so he was like out with his friends and you know staying around people's houses and just out all the time um so from there so when my dad started to spiral he obviously lost his job um and as a result of that he obviously had more time yeah (laughs) just to kind of drink and he didn't really have anything to hold himself together for yeah so that kind of spiraled it and he was you know he did go to rehab a handful of times but it didn't really have much success like it was only maybe like a week or two weeks programs and I just don't think it's not enough is it no not at all Mm. because they don't really give extensive support after you leave they kind of just send you on your way yeah (laughs) you know just expect them to keep their addiction in check yeah and it's it's an Um, illness isn't it um exactly like and it runs so deep as well like my um Mm -hmm. my dad's brother um was he was an alcoholic Mm -hmm. and unfortunately due to his illness he ended up dying from suicide in his um 50s and you know it I think just don't think people understand that it gets to a point where it literally isn't really a choice anymore like it's just completely ingrained in them like it is them like it must be so difficult to live, live with that every day yeah I think it's hard because obviously you see it as I don't know, I think some people who haven't been in it see it as a choice of that person. Yeah. And they just think they don't really care about their family. They're just thinking of themselves. But it is literally an impulse. Yeah. Like, they need it to get through the day. But then, um, obviously, it's not easy for the family. And it obviously can destroy, like, relationships. Yeah, massively. Between, yeah. So, I mean, all through well my young adult life really even while I was at uni he was kind of in and out of hospital um so I think the point for me where I think I started grieving properly for him was when so basically during uni I did my year abroad I went to America for a year Oh wow and then um obviously before you go you kind of do the rounds you kind of go around and say bye to everyone and I went around to see my dad and obviously now, like, looking back, we're like, oh, he didn't seem quite right. Like, he was quite spaced out. He wasn't really making sense. Like, he was having hallucinations. <laughs> he was saying, like, oh, the plug sockets are talking to me. 
or like the radio was talking to him and it wouldn't stop so we just have like all these random like electrical devices hidden around the house like in the back of the airing cupboard or something um so obviously we're like oh that's a bit weird but obviously we just thought (laughs) we just thought you know like he's just had a bit too much to drink um my favorite one was one time when he was in hospital and he was talking about um the corridor outside he was like oh they've been up and down on a slip and slide out there all day (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's happening (laughs) I mean it'd be pretty cool if it was but unlikely yeah I was like I want to have a go but (laughs) why haven't they invited us (laughs) but anyway sorry I digress (laughs) um so a week after I got to America so I did two weeks in California and so I was actually in Disney California wow and I got a call, so my mum was still alive at this point. So I got a call from my mum and she basically said, like, I'm so sorry, your dad's in hospital, he's in a coma. The doctors have basically said he has a 5% chance of survival, like it's really not looking good. And he'd gone into ICU that day, so that's why she called, because it had obviously gone extreme. Yeah. And this was obviously like five, six days into my at least seven months in America. God, how stressful. I know so obviously I was like do I come home like do I cancel everything do I just get on a plane back but um I mean my family kind of said look like there's not really much point of you coming back he's in ICU he's in a coma he's not going to know if you're here yeah you need to stay obviously it's like a once in a lifetime thing for you like we need to address this more as it comes but stay put for now yeah but it turned out then so the hallucinations and everything were due to he had toxins on his brain which basically because his liver had stopped working all the toxins were building and they eventually affect your brain and that's why he was having hallucinations wow and he ended up having some strokes yeah like you don't realize like how much your liver can affect your body like yeah i never so many different functions Hmm. like I didn't had no idea what it was so that's why we didn't think when he was hallucinating that it was anything like going wrong in his body we just thought he was drunk <laughs> yeah so, I mean, you, you wouldn't yeah, so know, he had you? strokes from that as well exactly there's just so many areas to cover of what mm. could go wrong so that's how he ended up in hospital and he was in ICU and then while I was over there it was kind of obviously that it was like an eight nine hour time difference or whatever it is so I was like calling home like every early in the morning and it would be late at night so the end of the day for them and we kind of had to make that decision while I was away like do we keep his life support on do we turn it off but the doctors basically said if you keep it on too long his body will be so dependent on it that he'll have no chance of survival because his lungs will be too weak to breathe for himself eventually then we had to we had to turn it off like there was no choice like it was going to be bad either way yeah and somehow plot twist he survived that Christ. <laughs> um, yeah like his body we always say his body was made of steel like mm. the amount of abuse he, he, threw, he threw at his body you find that a lot you find that a lot don't you like yeah. you, the people that die from cancer like lung cancer the people that have never smoked and the people mm-hmm. that live longest are the people that have literally abused their bodies their whole lives. Yeah. It's crazy. It's mad. I don't know. I don't mean, I just hope I've got some of his genes so I can... <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> I'll be all right. <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Um, but yeah, so from there, he he spent about three months, three, four months in hospital then, kind of rehabilitating. So he was sober. And that was, he was sober for about a year, maybe a bit more after he came out of hospital. What was that like for you? So I was away for most of it. And then I think I got maybe a couple of months or so with him when I got home. Mm. But then it's weird because obviously you've known this person, like your parent, as they were with their addiction. And I feel like I never really knew him as a sober person. So I never really knew like the real him. Yeah. So that was, I don't know, it was very weird. And then we eventually kind of realised that he was like drinking on the sly again. Like we would find like just empty vodka bottles around the house. And I remember what he tried to blame it on me. He was saying that I was drinking vodka and hiding it. Oh my God. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I knew I was a student at the time, but come on. <laughs> so is this... Like I wasn't ashamed of it. <laughs> after your mum passed or... Um, this was just before. So it, he kind of started drinking again before she died. Mm. So he lasted another four years of drinking, which is madness. Um, so where was I? Sorry. So yeah, that's all right. <laughs> it's kind of hard to get like the timeline in my head because like you said, like, has my mum died at this point? Yeah, or is, yeah. you know, trying to piece it back together? Yeah, <laughs> there really was. I look back now and I'm like, I don't know how. I don't know how you coped everything. Literally, wow. <laughs> But so from there, so obviously my dad was just getting worse and worse. And then obviously my mum died. So I was dealing with that grief in between that. And then, I don't know, after my mum died, we were kind of, I guess we were at a bit of a loss, like with what to do with my dad, Mm -hmm. because he just wouldn't, like he wouldn't get help. You can't force someone to get help if they don't want help. Mm. And to be honest, I didn't really go back home much from uni so I stayed in my uni town for a year after I finished and I just kind of saw him every few months and had the odd phone call but I didn't really like it's not that I didn't want to see him I just didn't I don't know it kind of reminds you of what's going on yeah yeah and it's not really like him even though it's the same man that you've known your whole life like it's not really him when you're with him is it yeah and it kind of got to the point where like every phone call I got from home, you expect it to be the call to say like he's died or he's in hospital. So you're constantly living with that worry of every time the phone rings. Were you like angry with him with how obviously he nearly died, he survived, mm. your mum died and then mm. he was then literally like killing himself? Yeah, yeah, I think I was angry. I think we all were like my, so my oldest brother didn't, really speak to him once he started drinking again he couldn't deal with it like he just didn't want to be involved like obviously he'd been through all that in the hospital before and he was like I'm not letting you put me through that again Mm. and obviously that was my brother's choice to do that obviously I respect that I totally understand why he did but for me like I just couldn't do that like I still wanted to be there yeah but obviously everyone deals with it differently so I don't hold anything against my brother for that Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So it's, it's, it's hard to not be angry with them, but also understand that. They are sick. Yeah. It's hard to differentiate that, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's very strange. But, um, like, I remember just to kind of show, like, the extent of how impulsive he was with his addiction. So he was in hospital about a year before he died. So this is after my mum died. And he had pancreatitis. So part of his pancreas had died. So he was in there for about a week and then eventually he discharged himself even though the doctors were like no you need to stay in like <laughs> you know your body is just giving up mm. but he discharged himself and no one told us so when my brother went down to the hospital they were basically just like yep he's gone he's discharged himself he'd left all his belongings including the keys to his house so when my brother went round to the house my dad had smashed the window into his own house crawled through the broken glass window and then just disappeared. Like, we couldn't find him for, like, two days. Jesus. And obviously he was already back drinking, so when we found him, he was with his girlfriend at the time. He was also an alcoholic. Mm. So that obviously didn't help. (laughs) But that just kind of shows, like, how impulsive he was. Like, he'd literally been in hospital. Part of his pancreas had died and he just had to get out there and have a drink, yeah. even though he was still being treated. God, it's scary, isn't it? Think just how much it can, like, just how much yeah. like, you've got. You've got no self control over an illness like that. Yeah, and it's hard being on the outside of it as well because you're just frustrated. You're just like, you just need to help yourself. Like he had two young grandchildren from my brother. Aww. Obviously, he adored, but it just wasn't. Nothing was ever enough to get him to stop. Mm. So, you know, obviously he ended up passing away as a result of mm. his alcoholism. You mentioned it was cirrhosis and um, respiratory pneumonia. So yeah, when you, obviously you filled in that kind of like questionnaire for me and stuff beforehand. And like you mentioned then that you felt very different when he passed to how you did when, you, when your mum died. And I think that's such a key thing to talk about here because... I think people do feel very different with their losses, but I think, you know, in particular, when you lose somebody to alcoholism or some, like, addiction, mm-hmm. like you said, you do feel like you're grieving them your whole life. So, like, how how was that different then for you when your dad died compared to your mum? Yeah, I think, I don't know, like, by the time my dad died, I'd already been grieving for so long. I felt like I was, like, 10 years down the line. And obviously... I didn't have as good a relationship with my dad so I wasn't really grieving the loss of like a close relationship like I was with my mum and I I don't know it was very it's like I still feel guilty now that I don't feel the same grief for my dad as I do for my mum because 
obviously my mum was so sudden like we were all close to my mum like the whole family it's just very strange it's a very strange feeling like you're kind of fighting with yourself and being like I should be more upset about this yeah like with my mum I cried every day for like a year yeah and then with my dad it's just kind of like I just I just I still haven't cried as much for my dad I don't know I just don't feel as big of a loss as terrible as that sounds. No, it, it makes complete sense like when you think about that the love and support that your mum will have given you compared mm. to like the worry and the stress that your dad gave you like particularly in the last couple of years yeah. of his life like it makes complete sense definitely and I think it's the same for a lot of people whose parents die from cancer and it takes like a very very long time so I know from from my point of view with my mum um mm-hmm. it's very small in comparison but like over the last kind of like three to four days she was gone but her body just wasn't mm-hmm. going um yeah and a lot of people like my dad has said and I kind of say that like you know when she did eventually die it was a bit of a relief because our whole lives were sur- were revolving around this person dying um and it's yeah. it's a lot to handle it's a massive relief like I remember because I, I we weren't there when my dad died his mum and his twin sister were with him when he oh, died okay. so I remember when I got the phone call like it's instant like my shoulders felt lighter yeah I felt like a lot of stress had lifted because I wasn't worried mm. that I had to get that phone call anymore I'd had that phone call and I knew that that wasn't going to happen again touch wood yeah <laughs> yeah and like now was a time that you could like focus on yourself yeah yeah it was kind of just yeah like to sound cliche like the closure of a big chapter in my life yeah no I bet and I, like I said I think back now and I'm like I have no idea how I handled that mm. I must have been just so uptight and stressed all the time I mean I just can't imagine like what did you do to like try and like support yourself during that time or was it literally just like survival mode after my dad died or, like you mean? after your mum died and when your dad was obviously like deteriorating rapidly mm. yeah I think I'm very I mean I tried to just carry on as much as I could like I'm very like even after my mum died like I sorted through her belongings within like two three days God, because wow. I just I just wanted to get it like done, done and just mm. obviously I kept some stuff but I just wanted to you're not that brutal like yeah. it's all <laughs> yeah it's like right that's it now <laughs> no um like I'm very kind of I get not like matter of fact but very I don't know I just kind of carried on as normal like yeah. you know I was still at uni for some of it just went out got drunk which is a bit ironic really <laughs> 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 Yeah, I just, I mean, I'm very, I remember, because I was working in a cinema at the time, so there was loads of, um, like, uni students were working there as well, and I remember my boss announced in a team meeting when I wasn't there that my mum had died. Oh, Jesus. And I, I mean, thought, thank God oh, you weren't there, because it'd be really there. awkward if they, if he was like, by the way, guys, yeah. uh, Natalie sat here, her mum died. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, like, that's my thing to tell everyone and I wanted to kind of have a bit of normality where people didn't necessarily know about it and I could just pretend things were normal for a little bit Mm. I didn't really get that did you talk to anybody about your dad um and like before he died and after he died like 
when people asked about him about his addiction yeah I think so even now I just have like a handful of friends I'll talk to about like grief and what I went through Mm. I do I definitely remember crying about my dad on a few nights out (laughs) just bringing the tone down (laughs) classic we all do it I've done it for a fair few times (laughs) yeah I just I don't know like I think I told people and then like when he was alive he would just randomly call me at like one in the morning and he would leave a voicemail of just him rambling and it would make me upset because I'd had a drink and then I just remember there were like three of us just after a night out like we were obviously all sharing a double bed because you know that's when what you do yeah <laughs> I just remember like playing the voicemail and like bawling my eyes out to my friends I was like this is what I have to put up with <laughs> um but yeah I, it's a very strange time and to be honest I think I blocked a lot of it out yeah of, like what happened immediately after my mom and while I was dealing with my dad deteriorating yeah what about like when people ask you about your parents now um because obviously there's a really big difference between saying like, you know, my mum died from cancer and my mm. dad died from an addiction. Um, I feel like people probably probably react quite differently to each each of those answers. Yeah. Like, I don't know, I don't always tell people when they ask either. Mm. I kind of just, like I have full out lied in the past if I've met someone new. Can't blame you. <laughs> they're like, oh, like, where are your parents? I'm like, oh yeah, they're back home. <laughs> oh god I think we've all been there yeah like sometimes you just don't want to deal with it Mm. so I'm just I'll just deal with that later Mm, 100% yeah but I do I don't know obviously there's a lot more sense of pity with cancer because obviously there's all you know like stand up to cancer and you see all the stories on tv from cancer research so people are more kind of attuned to it they know what it's like they know how devastating it is they know it's not through the choice of that person and then addiction there's obviously still even for me I feel like there's a bit of a taboo around it yeah definitely so even especially growing up and stuff it's got better now but if a celebrity died from like drug addiction or even alcoholism like all the comments on social media would just be like oh they're so selfish or oh it's their own fault or they didn't care about their family so you kind of I still feel a bit protective of that yeah definitely I bet you do I mean it's it's good that you can be an advocate for that in a way like like you do now you know like speaking up for people that have one lost people in those situations and two have are struggling with addiction as well yeah I mean I'm still not quite at the point where I'll openly just say it yeah sometimes I'll just say oh he had liver problems you know yeah (laughs) which is true but at the same time it's more of a a simplified version of it no I completely get that I do I do I mean obviously now there's I think I think it was a Louis Theroux documentary about alcoholism you do you see it more now obviously as people are becoming more aware of mental health Mm. and addiction but I do still think there's a long way to go with people understanding what it is and what it's like for the family no 100% definitely and for people that are grieving the loss of somebody um addiction as well you know it is it is a completely different ball game and Mm -hmm. and like you said you don't get this like people don't mean it but you don't get the same level of sympathy like and you know you you don't feel as comfortable to post on social media like sharing like charities for um 
you're like, oh, showing like AA meetings and mm-hmm. as, you, as people do, they kind of really post and share a lot about like breast cancer awareness and Macmillan and stuff. You know, there's just not as much out there in the public eye, is there? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think even thinking back to right after my mum died and right after my dad died, and I don't know if it was because it was a difference in how I reacted to it, but there was definitely more support for my mum than there was for my dad yeah and I don't know if that's because people around me just knew I wasn't as close to him or they just didn't see it as a traumatic way if that makes sense I always expected yeah Mm. yeah but then obviously you can still never ever prepare for it no (laughs) (laughs) in your whole life I spoke about this this week but yeah you can be told for six years that somebody's gonna die and when they actually die (laughs) you'll be fucking Mm -hmm. shocked (laughs) exactly oh I just no you can never ever prepare no matter what anyone says to you Mm. you'll just never be ready for it no I agree definitely not um you mentioned like the grief community and stuff on Mm. like on Instagram and obviously social media and stuff like have you like have you found that useful and have you have you found anybody from that community that's experienced a similar loss to you So I haven't. So I only really found how big the grief community was, maybe within the last six months to a year. Yeah. So I didn't really seek it out. Like I was kind of in denial that I needed it, to be honest. Mm. But when you find it, like the same thing with when my dad died, it's just a massive, massive relief. Yeah. (laughs) Because obviously, I'm normal. Especially when you're. Sorry, go on. So, like, you're like, oh my God, I'm normal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I'm not this weird person who's just had this trauma. Mm. And even obviously, like, when you're so young, so I was 23 when my mum died and 25 when my dad died. Obviously, everyone at that age around me, no one really has had that kind of loss. Yep. So it's hard to relate to the people directly around you. So even if you do want to talk about it, you don't really feel like they can you don't really feel like they know what you're talking about so they can they can they can just say you know oh yeah I understand like that must be terrible for you but yes it is but you don't get it (laughs) yeah that is the hardest thing and I think we also like instantly just know that they don't get it so we don't even give them the opportunity Mm. to try and get it because we're like you don't understand so exactly but no I have found the grief community a massive help like I'm not necessarily a massive active part of it yet but I think I need to, just for me, because I, I don't know, like after my mum died, I think I definitely had a period where I was depressed. Yeah. But I didn't seek the help I needed. I kind of just carried on as normal and like went out for drinks with friends yeah. and kind of brushed over it. I did um, a post on that. It must have been, God, like over a year ago now, where I said like there, there is a fine line between grieving and becoming mentally ill. Um, mm-hmm. Because you know I was similar to you where yes I was grieving but from that I definitely became very mentally unwell Um, and I think it's important to like because people are quick to be like oh you're not depressed you're just upset and yeah and I think it's important for people to like be self-aware and be like fuck like this is not just grief anymore like I'm definitely not coping well Mm -hmm. yeah I remember I was living with a friend at the time 
and it it just wasn't matched for the way I was grieving because it was right after I lost my mom and I just remember like obviously I was grieving I was you know like I wasn't always upbeat and happy mm. and I remember I came home one day and he was just like oh cheer up oh I was like don't oh my god dare punch him in the face <laughs> <laughs> wow it was just oh like that was a trigger and I was like don't you dare say that to someone who's just lost their mom and like gonna lose their dad oh my god that's awful just, yeah I mean it it was quite a toxic situation for me to be living in because of that like because I was grieving mm. it was probably a mix of the fact I didn't express it enough and the fact that he didn't really care yeah yeah I mean that is not good. <laughs> it kind of just it wasn't good for me in that immediate year after Mm, I bet so I don't think that helped either (laughs) I mean it's amazing for me to sit here and listen to this story and like for you to be in the place that you are in today um Mm. and I know that you mentioned as well that you think that these losses that you've had now like they have changed you as a person so like I'd love to hear more about that as well yeah so I've been thinking about this quite a lot and I was thinking it's obviously so hard to say exactly what's come mm. out of your grief because when you're so young you're obviously still developing as a person yeah but I mean like right after it really didn't affect me very well like <laughs> I was very short-tempered I was like emotional all the time and I just wasn't a very nice person to be around sometimes yeah but then I think for me good consequences of grief if that's such a thing (laughs) um kind of came out after my dad died because then I kind of felt okay I don't need to worry about my dad being sick now I can grieve my mum and my dad and I don't have to worry about anything else and then I guess kind of from there like when you lose that support network when you lose your parents your main support network is gone yeah huge so I think that has made me like fiercely independent and I really notice that when I meet other people my age you're also dependent yeah Yeah. I just I find it fascinating yeah (laughs) I don't realize it until I see like the complete opposite to me and then I realize that I've had to become so self-dependent so I think that's a positive because obviously if I want to do something I'll go and do it like I'll go to the theater on my own if I want to go same I go to restaurants on my own like I am I love it doing it yeah and people are oh I don't know how you do that or like I don't know how you go to the cinema on your own I'm like it's the best way to do it so nice yeah preach to that I just think you you do value time with yourself a lot more don't you 100% like I just I don't know I think it's obviously really important to look after yourself and I feel like you've seen how fragile life is Mm. so you don't want to sit around and be like oh I can't go to that because there's no one to go with me yeah screw it you just have to get out there (laughs) 100% could not agree more yeah but then also I don't know I guess I'm still kind of externally like emotionally tough in a way like to people I won't always show my emotion yeah but in private I'm definitely way more in touch with that like I'll cry at anything (laughs) Like, <laughs> like I was watching it's it's just mad like what could make me cry <laughs> like I was watching a like a just like a tv quiz show and the team won the money and I was just <laughs> like oh my god it's, it's the best thing <laughs> love that <laughs> <laughs> so 
so I think I don't know I think it's important like because I know what it's like when you just like keep all this emotion inside it's just you just have to get it out yeah like I just have to do that for yourself yeah well like it was my mum's like death anniversary the other day and Mm. I just find it really cathartic to like do something that I know is going to make me cry um yeah so like the night before I well I asked my partner if we could go to the cinema to watch this film that I knew was gonna make me cry um and he like didn't get it he was like laughing at me as I was crying and I was like in my head I was like don't fucking laugh at me like this is like what like what I need um like I just needed to sit down and just really feel just feel everything (laughs) just have like a really big cathartic cry yeah and sometimes I find myself you kind of kind of catch you off guard like if someone mentions something on tv about their mum mm-hmm. it'll just catch you off guard yeah. and you're just like oh actually I really needed that cry yeah I really needed to cry right now <laughs> it just feels really good <laughs> yeah like even last night literally last night I was looking for something on my phone and I came across an email I think it was from the celebrant for my mum's funeral oh yeah and I was just reading this email and I was just like bawling my eyes out because it kind of takes you back yeah to exactly where you were at that point yeah definitely you don't realize how far you've come and so you put yourself back in that position yeah and even just remembering what was going on at that time and how much you have to organize after someone dies mm. it's just Huge. it was just kind of overwhelming but then this morning obviously like you know bright and happy so it can just hit you <laughs> at any time it does it does um hey well my last question for you and I suppose it will be kind of you might have to find two different ways to answer this really but like what would you say to other people who have experienced similar similar losses to you um obviously it's very kind of specific in the way that you lost your mum and then you lost your dad but mm. I suppose you just kind of you could I suppose kind of focus on like um I don't know just like not not feeling guilty <laughs> for how you feel yeah I think the biggest thing really that I wish someone had said to me is just to be selfish mm. like just do what you want to do listen to yourself at the same time like if you need to get help go and get help don't not get help because society has said you should be fine by two years down the line like do what you want to do if you have to sit at home and cry and you know rock them back and forth on your bed do that that's yeah. absolutely fine Take the normal. <laughs> if you want to go out and get drunk like I did also fine (laughs) but the most important thing is really just to make sure you're being honest with yourself like don't be scared to reach out if you need it even if you're going through dealing with someone with addiction don't just sit there and fester and be angry and think the world's against you because Mm -hmm. there's so many people out there who are going to relate and be able to help you and also the one thing I always found is that when you like look up because obviously I mean we've probably all done it like you look up grief and it's like the stages of grief yeah it's definitely not linear yeah like I just don't think anyone should feel like once they've done one stage of grief they're going to move on to the next Mm. just be fine with going back and forth like pretty much for the rest of your life but that's okay because there's other people out there going through exactly the same thing and we all just need to come together. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And you know, it is so true. Like before somebody dies, you do, you kind of search like 
I don't know, some people Google, like, what you, what do you do when somebody dies? And those, yeah. like, stages of grief come up everywhere. And mm-hmm. Christ, like, I, honestly, after my mum died, I honestly thought it would be a case of I'd feel really, really, really bad. And then it would be uphill from there. And that was not the case. Like when people when people I know lose parents around me now, I actually feel a hundred times worse for them because I know that the pain that they're feeling straight after that person's died won't compare to the pain that they're gonna feel in a few weeks and then a few months' time. Um and it's so difficult. Like it is just an absolute grief coaster. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Yeah. I mean, even if people around you like all my friends are starting to get married and that just reminds me I'm like mm. oh my parents aren't going to be there mm. so you're always going to have triggers like something's going to trigger you to think about it yeah and that's okay that's totally fine yeah 100 percent um well Natalie thank you so much for your time you. and for talking so well about it all as well like it's such a huge thing and I cannot imagine what it's been like for you over the past like I don't know how long has it been now like eight years <laughs> well it's six <laughs> five and a half yeah. years since I lost my mum I mean wow what a journey so I know <laughs> um, I, I really appreciate you coming on and talking about it and figure like giving people such valuable advice as well Um, it definitely will not go underappreciated I can tell you that <laughs> no, thank you honestly thank you for doing this podcast because for me, it's a really important thing and it's really helped me. So thank you. Thank you, thank you for listening and for taking part. Honestly, it wouldn't even exist without people like you. So yeah, I appreciate it. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Dead Prank Club podcast. I so hope that you've enjoyed it and you found some comfort in the stories that you've heard here today. As always, I would just like to remind you that neither myself nor any of the guests that come onto the show are healthcare professionals. Therefore, if you do find yourself struggling with your grief, I highly recommend that you seek out professional help, whether that be from your GP or from the numerous charities out there that are available to you. Please also remember that you can reach out to us at any time on Instagram at DPC Podcast, on Facebook at The Dead Parent Club, and you can email us at dpcpodcast at hotmail.com. Alternatively, you can check out our website where a resources page is also available at www.dpcpodcast.co.uk. Also, please don't hesitate to contact me if you want to get involved in the podcast in any way, whether that be coming onto the show or to write a blog for us as well if coming onto a podcast isn't your thing. Thank you so much once again for listening and we'll see you next week. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.